So I'm super excited that you're the second official guest on the podcast. Um, the first one was Britta and then we had like a Christmas special with Davina. So I've kind of set myself up for failure with like all these incredible people, how to keep this up. Um, so obviously I know who you are and everything, but could you introduce <laughs> yourself to the listeners? Hiya chickens, it's me, your favourite sibling in all the land, Sister Sister. Now officially on Drag Race UK season two, let me be the first to tell you that I've not been able to say that out loud for such a long time. It's like the biggest secret ever. So um, ginormous weight off my chest, I can actually say I'm on Drag Race UK season two. Good for me. It's been like a year since you found out now, isn't it? Mate, <laughs> it's literally the longest fucking process. So. If you think about the auditions come out, the auditions came out, I think, November. So that was everyone's opportunity to apply. Um, it was my first time applying and I quite, I, I quite enjoyed it. I liked putting the audition tape together. I actually recorded a, I recorded the audition tape first and edited it, put it together, it was ready to send. And I remember watching it back a few times and I was like, there's something that doesn't feel right. I'm really bored watching this. Like, this is shit. If I was watching this and it was somebody else's, like a friend's, I'd have to say to them, this is really bad. So I booked the day off work the next day and recorded the entire thing again from scratch and sent that off. And it was, a, let me tell you, it was a completely different audition tape as well. The first one was all like style over substance. It was me like sat on a bed and I was trying to, I was trying to do like a big breakfast vibe, like, it was all like really heavily edited and it was just, it was, it was boring. It was really boring. Then I re-recorded it and chopped that up and it was way more fun to watch and then sent that off and then got the bloody call. I know it's, I mean, this year's cast is so diverse. I mean, la last year's cast was good as well, but I think this year they've stepped up and there's, there's everything. It's wild, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a really strong mix of, of everything that's really enjoyable and everything that's super fun. Um, and wild about drag. Yeah, it's uh, I like I kind of kind of want to rise out of my body and pretend that I have nothing to do with it when it's airing because I just want to watch it from from scratch and pretend that I have nothing to do with it so that I can get that viewing experience because it's gonna be such a fun series. Yeah, it's I'd be so strange watching it back as well because it must have been. I know you can't say exact dates for when it was filmed and things, but like quite a while. So when you look back, it'll be like. Wow, did this happen? Oh, massively. Um, yeah, like even down to even down to like styling for like out like non-drag outfits. I remember having a conversation with Joe Black um when we were filming, because essentially the you know the show got the, the show got split. It's notorious for having like COVID got in the way. We're gonna be known as the COVID series forever. It's like the haunted COVID series. So we did, we started filming it bloody ages ago. Um, I remember having a chat with uh, Joe Black about the, my non-drag outfits. And he was like, yeah, so you'd, you'd like, you, like when, we, when we were filming that bit, he was like, you were describing yourself as like, you know, I just want to dress like an art student who lives in a warehouse. And I was like, I can't remember saying that. That's disgusting. Why would I say that? Why would I say that? And then the, the like the, the outfits that I took back with me were just like um, uh, like I don't know. It's like I was sat on like like genuine 
like designer stuff and I just chose to dress like a tramp for, for, for the beginning. It's so strange. Style choices are so strange. And that's what I mean. When something takes place over the space of a year, you have that opportunity to look back and go, what the hell are you thinking at the beginning? That's insane. Yeah, it's obviously like, I guess it's extra special in that sense that you had that like reflection that you can, you can sort of see a change as well. Oh, hello. Oh, internet's dropped out, but I think Are you it's there? Okay. Oh, hi. Sorry, you just broke up. I was just saying how like you're on your back there. You are. I can hear. Was you. split. It was quite like reflective, I guess, because you're you've done half of all. You've done a bit of it. You've got more to do, but then you've also changed as a person in between. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it, it's a whole, and I'm someone as well, like, I, I always maintain that I have about three rebirths a year, like, creatively, so I'll, I, like, I'm also that person who, once they've started something, um, by the time I finished doing it, I kind of, I hate it, I've fallen out of love with it already, and that can happen so quick, so for something to take a year's, a year's, like, time to, you know, finish something. I'm already thinking back to when the whole thing started. I'm thinking, oh shit, that tiny little thing that I, I would have done that differently and I would have done this differently and that kind of thing. And now it's just out of my hands. It's just going to have to play out and I'll have to sit there and cringe at the, <laughs> at the beginning, like at the, at the beginning of the whole thing. The warehouse art student. <laughs> I, mean, I think the, for me, what the fight... <laughs> That'll be, I mean, you've got like a merch slogan now for that, so you can definitely explore that avenue. I know, I know, but I'm hoping, I'm just going to call it the, the, the rebirth, so when, when we go back um, after the whole COVID thing, I'll at least be able to have, be like, oh look, I, I look like an artist that actually made it successfully and I'm stood there in my designer clothes from that point onwards, <laughs> like, I'm rich now. <laughs> I think the funniest part of the cast announcement was all the comments like, oh, when does filming start? When does filming start? Even though it's coming out in January, they, people thought you were going to film it in a month. Edit it and get it out. Oh my God, insane. That's, so that's hilarious. Yeah, people do not understand how TV works. Like, no. at all. I'm still getting messages now, like requests about, can you, do, can you do this on the show? Can you do that? Like, asking me, will I do that for them on the show? And I'm like, uh, babes, it's, it's been gone. The jig is up. It's finished. Like I can't yeah. go back in time and do it. Because <laughs> it's like they're still drip feeding promos, aren't they? So you get like a little bit at a time. But I mean, we've still got what three, four weeks. Yeah, yeah, we've still got we've still got a little bit of time. But I think you don't really realize until um, this is this is really the first major TV uh, production that I've worked on before, and you don't kind of realize until you've done it how much of a process it is. Like, there's so many people involved, and so many decisions, uh, decision making uh, processes involved as well. Like, it's it's ginormous. I remember when I was getting ready um, for the show. And you have all the angst of somebody who's getting ready to get, you know, to, to go on a TV show. And um, I was talking to one of my friends about it. And he very famously said, because you were talking about opening lines, and he very famously said to me, what is your opening line? And I told him, like, like the enter, enter the workroom line. And I told him, and halfway through, he just went, I'm bored. 
and like cut me down straight away. And I was like, excuse me. And he was like, I'm bored. It's not catchy enough. And I was like, well, what the fuck would you say then? And he was like, you need to remember. And I swear to God, I, I may as well just have this tattooed on me now because it, kept, it was like one of those moments where someone punches you in the face with wisdom and you go, ah, okay. Like one of those Wizard of Oz moments where you peek behind the curtain and you go, ah, okay. And he told me, um, it's a TV show first and a drag competition second. And it was like, it was like insider production knowledge. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So what it immediately does is it plucks you out of it. So all your ego and the, the, the whole like drag persona that you're thinking, I need to turn it like, I'm here, I'm here to fight. I'm here to turn up and do this, that and the other. You can't, it's like a bubble getting burst and you just go, oh, hold on a minute. No, everyone's just doing, everyone's just doing a job. Like, obviously you have to turn up and you, you, you are the drag queen and you are, it's centered around you and 11 other queens. But um, I think to kind of realize, oh, well, it's, there's other people involved here as well. So the slight things that you're overthinking probably won't really get picked up on. Yeah, you can sort of like skate by on those bits because be, there's so much going on. Yeah, Especially... just not overthink a lot of it. That's just, that's life advice though, you know? Don't yeah. overthink, like don't overthink everything. Because it's, I find it's really interesting because people are like, oh, this is my top three, this is my top four. But they're placing people solely off like social media in images or like past experiences when we've seen in the past with like other US seasons, like major queens from their scenes have gone in and then completely crumbled in it. So it's so hard to sort of guess who's going to do well and who's not already. Totally, totally. And I think this is the season to... Um, not judge, not judge any of these books by their covers as well. Because, I mean, there was moments even when we were filming that we were just like, fucking hell, we couldn't have predicted that whatsoever. No one saw this coming. The whole, and that, that's good TV. Everyone, like, you know, even us involved, we were just watching it going, shit. <laughs> Fuck, like, you know, we, we couldn't have predicted that. Um, and there's a common misconception with um, Drag Race as well to... Um, to make a lot, of, make those first-hand um, observations and opinions based on, um, yeah, social media, but like following, so like the amount of followers that people have, um, and if you do that, you kind of, you kind of like undermine the whole underdog uh, like story arc, which is so um, uh, prevalent in um, Drag Race. Like Drag Race loves an underdog; they love people to rise from the bottom and just like you know work their way up, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you, you genuinely, you cannot predict any of it. It's just chaos, pure chaos, pure trauma, and it's just high camp. Yeah, it's going to be like 2020 summed up into a TV series. Very <laughs> yeah, that, very that. Just chaotic energy. So this is going to come out like the day, the, well, the Friday after the first episode comes out. So that'd be kind of weird to have seen it. And then this is coming out. But have you felt like a lot of Scouse support after Viv's win? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, Liverpool are in, um, they're, they're, they're fully, fully behind a Scouse queen. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think the people of Liverpool will always get behind, like, a, we love a representative figure. We love representation. Um, so the outpouring of love and support has just been absolutely stunning. Just really, really nice. Um, 
there's been some, <laughs> which is very typical of Liverpool, there's been some comments about my accent. Um, with a lot of people debating, is she even from Liverpool? Um, and if so, how can she, how can she say that with pride, with an accent like that? I I I am a bitch with half an accent. I always have been. I am fully one hundred percent from Liverpool, <laughs> though. Um, my family. I come from pure Scousers. Um, I just, I don't know, I haven't really lived in Liverpool um, for a while. Like I, I took a, ch- I lived in Leeds for a little bit and then I lived in um, London for a while. Um, but there's, uh, there's something to be said about uh, queer people and their accents as well. I remember someone sending me an article when I was at uni about how um, queer people can sometimes lose their accents because they, t- they tend to stray from it. And there's something to say, something to do with like, trauma growing up and not really feeling like you belong in a certain place. I've not had that that much, but I think unconsciously you can sometimes, queer people are more prone to lose their regional accents. If anyone's listening to this and thinking he's speaking shit, please correct me. Um, Cause I am not a doctor whatsoever. This is just the thing that I read. And I found, I found it so interesting though. I, I, I found it really interesting. Um, and it, and it would explain, but you think about like queer people tend to, they do tend to, um, I don't know how to say, but their, their accents do tend to, I don't know, just point upwards a little bit. I can't explain it. Yeah, it's almost like they sort of diffuse. Because I, I know what you mean, but it is hard to like articulate. Because I guess moving, if you're moving around and then you'll find your bubble and then that bubble will start to sound the same. I think it's that. I think it might be, it might be a case of literally just um, gravitating towards things that necessarily aren't your home base. And I think, you know, the article that I read was written a while ago. I think maybe when, um, you know, uh, homophobia was a little bit more rife as well. And it was more, um, it was more common for uh, gay people to not necessarily always be accepted by their family straight away so they would tend to look to other other people or other places or other groups um, and different subcultures to kind of um you know to, to try and find their, their family there instead and if you are more attracted to something different than exactly where you've come from then sure your accent would be one of the things i'm sure amongst many others um that that would alter yeah, definitely, because my accent is completely mangled. Like, you wouldn't believe I was born in Scotland. And it's just gone with the oh, wind. Really? You, you've got, you've got you, you do have, you've got a very mild accent. Yeah, because it's like, I lived in Scotland, then the States, and then now, like, Leeds slash Norwich. So it's completely, like, some words, like, when I say Norwich, it goes really British, but then I still throw y'all into half my sentences. So it's just an absolute mess. <laughs> I love that. Um, one of my favorites was, I have a friend from Sweden who speaks with a really thick American accent. And it's literally, she grew up on American TV. So when she speaks in English, she speaks with a really thick American accent. And I was like, fuck off, that's hilarious. Oh my God. She's literally got, like, she, she learned she, her twangers from, like, Rachel from Friends or something. I was just about to say Friends. 
Because, <laughs> I mean, I still find accents, like British accents are so bizarre. And watching like the Meet the Queens, no one sounded how I'd expect them to sound, if that makes sense. Like when Ahura opened her mouth, I was like, she's Northern? What? <laughs> God, I know. Face like an angel and a mouth like fucking gravel. Christ. <laughs> I'd, I mean, this is kind of embarrassing, but I never heard a Scouse accent until I came to uni. There's no Scousers uh, in Norwich. Uh, look, look at you. No, <laughs> what did you make of the Scouse accent when you first heard it, though? Oh, I love it. I've got, there's two people in our building from Liverpool, and I read their texts in a Scouse accent. I just, I can't help it. <laughs> It could, amazing. amazing. It could be like something so normal. And I always text from like Isabella. I just read this in a scouse accent. I just wanted you to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But chicken like, is always just going to be chicken. Yeah, that's the. I mean, I cannot do a scouse accent to save my life, so I'm not even going to try. But like, that is the best one. Me, me neither. Apparently. Because actually, this is quite like a nice segue. Because when I was thinking about like because I know you mentioned before, like, your accent and things. I've got some Scouse words that, uh, like, Americans or other English people probably have no clue what they mean. So I was hoping you could try and, like, define them in, like, five words, a little game of, like, Scousery, basically. Um, so the first um, one is Scrat. Yeah, uh, so the first one is Scran. Scrat. Oh, Scran. <laughs> scran is... So basically, Scran is food. So it's, um, it, it, it's literally, it means food, but you can use it as a verb as well. So you can get to scran, it's like to eat. So it's basically, it, it's centralized around food. There's actually, there's a chippy um, right by my house called Wu-Tan Scran. No. Iconic, and it's vegan. Good for them. That is, I mean, I'm going to have to add that to like the Liverpool list. <laughs> I mean, this next one is probably slightly like northern as well but sound oh sound so if you describe something as sound it just means good because it's but you i think you can use it in but good is almost in like well done or like okay in so many different ways because people say it at work and i'm like did i do it right i don't know <laughs> yeah so you can use so in the sentence it would be that sound like that sound uh, and it just basically means like it, it, it's anywhere between that's acceptable to that's amazing that sound it's such a big range <laughs> though <laughs> oh god i know and it's frustrating and yeah it's so strange because i think scouse dialect scouses in general we we Terrible at explaining, terrible communication problems within Liverpool. And it's literally because we boil all these, we boil an entire dictionary just down to like, you know, seven or eight different words. And then we wonder why we all just get annoyed with each other. Yeah. Arguing. Everyone's just fully confused. Like we said them sounds, but it's not that good. <laughs> the next one I had was a choco. <laughs> okay, in a sentence, the club is chocker. It means you can't get in. So it's like busy, jam packed, full up. I think that one's like 
probably one of two on this list that you could figure out. But the re- like, it's not too scousy, I guess. Moderate scouse. Um, and then well, it's, well, it? the next one was swerve. <laughs> so, so um, swerve basically means avoid, but it's not. It's not like a very positive, it's not a very positive word. So if you've swerved someone, you've like, you've swerved it because you've got a good reason to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of like a, it's like a block. It's like a ghost, that kind of thing. It's like the next level block. Yeah, it's like, I'll swerve that. This next one I'd never heard of before, but a few scoops. Skips. Oh no, a few I think a few scoops. Unless I wrote it down wrong. Scoops. So S C double O P like scoops. Yeah. Is it a scoops? That's uh so if someone said to me like scoop, it would be like uh goss. I think which is gossip. <laughs> Because I could, I thought it was that as well. But then I read a little thing, and apparently it's like a drink. Like if someone asks you if you want a few scoops, it means like, do you want a bevy? <laughs> oh, that used to me. If someone asked me if I wanted scoops, I'd be like, I love gelato. Yeah, I'll take two. Have I outscoused the scouts, <laughs> or is it fake news? It could be either. <laughs> Yeah, you've made me very insecure as a Scouse person that I don't know my own dialect. <laughs> I'm going to find the article again and send it to you later, because it was like the Liverpool like Times oh, or something okay. cheesy like that as well. Yeah, please, please do. <laughs> please do. I always find, um, this might not air, but I always find that... Um, drug lingo in Liverpool, <laughs> especially when I live in a very, very nice area, but it's, um, it, it, it's, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's young, there's, there's young people and they've got money because it's, it's not very, you don't need money to live in Liverpool, so everyone's just got like a surplus of cash. And I think we know how to party and have a nice time, so generally people just tend to take a lot of drugs. Um, and it, it, I can't keep up with, with like, uh, so they call it like blow, they call it snow, they call it lemo, lemo, lemo. I remember last year I, I, I started smoking loads of weed and I was like, oh my God, I love weed. Weed's really fun. And then he was like, do you want any lemo, lad? So I learned, I literally had to figure it out. I sat down with, um, with someone and I was like, someone asked me if I wanted some lemo. And they're like, yeah, it means Coke. It means cocaine. Cause like it drink, it's like lemo and co- and just like me being the the little the little gay bar just sat there like oh that's really funny like just like naive as fuck like oh it's coke I get it now like just having to analyze everything in order to understand it ah okay and now I know Doug <laughs> oh my god because this next the last one I had was Bifter which kind of goes with that. It's a ciggy. It's a cigarette. You got a biff to the gill. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't know the etymology behind that whatsoever. I don't know where bifter comes from. So, honestly, some of the words they have for it, like one of my uh, friends calls it a blem, and I was like, that sounds like snot. 
Yeah, Blem sounds like a bruise or something. That's weird. It's that like a weird. South London thing, apparently. I kind of love that. I remember somebody asking me if I wanted a chuddy once. And I was like, I absolutely do not, because I don't know what it means. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a chewing gum. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll I'll take on them. Do you know? But this is one of this is one of the things that I love. I I I I love having a grasp on the English language because it's so creative and it's forever changing, um, and we can't we can't stop it. I think it, it it's literally like a full spectrum of color. I, I love it when people come up with these fucking bizarre buzzwords um, yeah. to describe the most mundane things. It's it's brilliant. I saw a reel the other day, and it was like the like London accent in like throughout time and it was just like the words get more slurred and slurred and then it gets to like 26 and it's just eh which I think (laughs) yeah Yeah. I used to to live with this guy I used to live with this um musician when I lived in London and he was such a stoner um and he'd reply so you tell him something like oh I, I you know I cycled home and I almost got hit by a bus today and he'd be like is it his response to everything was, is it? And I completely adopted it. So now when I'm having conversations with people and they tell me something, and it's, it's basically another way of saying, wow, that's interesting. You just kind of go really brain dead and go, is it? Oh my God. <laughs> That'd be like when Dragon can eventually happen, you'll have people be like, my cat died, you saved me. And you're just like, is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> Uh, I watched her live with Ginny the other night, which was pure chaos. It was chaotic. I know, I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Is she someone you're probably closest with from the cast then? So I met Ginny in Manchester Pride 2018 or 19 for the very first time. And it was a fleeting visit. She was in full drag. I was out, I was, just, I, I was just visiting Pride. So I walked past and I remember screaming, Jenny, because I, I, I knew her from social media. And she, she just gave me like, a, I am bad, bunty, a slice. But we didn't actually introduce each other, uh, ourselves to each other. And then she walked into the workroom on Drag Race. And after we'd finished filming, I said, I, you, you shouted at me on Canal Street in, um, in Manchester. And that's the first time I ever saw you. And she literally remembered it. Like she acts like a fucking um, like dickhead monster who doesn't know what's going on. But she's genuinely, she's taking things in. Cause it was a split second like introduction from about 10 meters away. And she was like, yeah, I fully remember you. She pinpointed my outfit. She was like, you were wearing boots and a tank top. And I was like, because I'm gay. Yeah. So I'll wait. <laughs> um, but um, I, I have nothing but um just endless copious amounts of love for Ginny she can do no wrong in my eyes which is unfortunate because it means that I'm probably going to be stuck with her for the rest of my life you can make the new trick scene can't you just pure <laughs> chaos absolute fucking chaos just rubble everywhere um and every day my phone is filled with nudes Ginny Lemon's nudes, which she just sends every day without fail. Do you know what? At a time like this, there is nothing sure in this world whatsoever, except for I know I'm going to receive a nude off Ginny Lemon every single morning. Oh my God. <laughs> but, oh, she's just, 
she's almost too open. Some like her Twitter is hilarious. She's like, oh, I've just had a poo. I'm like, no one needed to know that, but everyone loves it apparently. Yeah, that she's found their target market and she will get sponsored by Kleenex. Like, yeah. without doubt. And Jax or something. Um, yeah, she's got no filter. And do you know what? The world fucking needs someone like that. The world literally needs someone who's very socially switched on, incredibly sensitive and empathetic, but will just troll the fuck out of you. Um, I j- <laughs> like, you know, she's such a lovely, caring twat. The best way to put it. It's just the best, and, and she, it's just the best thing to be as well. <laughs> I mean, because you like you did a little like sing along with her, which was adorable. Do you think you're gonna like plan on doing like music, out like with your drag, or is that something you'd want to do? I um, yeah, I only really got into um, be. I've, I've always been super musical anyway. Um, Sister Sister's always kind of done something with music, even if it's just picking, um, you know, the, the choices of songs that I use for lip syncs um, has always been like really considered. I don't tend to go for um, like current pop music, which makes me feel like such a grandma, but I, I couldn't do like a Ariana Grande song. No shade, the woman is nailing it. I love her, but I couldn't do an Ariana Grande song and live with myself at the end of it. It just wouldn't be me. Um, I've, so I've, I've always like made a point of really considering the, the, the music that I perform to. And then uh, this year, this year, the beginning of this year, um, before the world caught fire, I started doing more with like my uh, ukulele and kind of like live singing. Live singing is actually, it, it's petrifying the first time you do it. And then once you get out of the way, it's actually like, oh fuck, this is actually really fun. I understand why people <laughs> do live singing in, the, in their shows. Um, so I, and, and comedy's in it as well. I think Ginny literally slots in um, with the exact same music vibe as me and that she, she loves doing piss takey songs, but she still, she takes it very seriously. I think the similarity between me and Jin is we take comedy very seriously. Um, we know how to be dicks about it, but she takes her music very seriously as well. I would fucking work with Ginny. I would write an album with that bitch. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, she gets it. That would be like very interesting to see. Even if I, yeah, even if I'm, I'm going to work on an album at some point as well. I think I'm more, um, I'm more interested in the visuals. Um, but let me say this, because I'm putting it out there into the universe. Um, there is a song by uh, the band America um, called Horse With No Name. Do you know it? No. Okay. It, whoever's listened to this, just listen to the song Horse With No Name by America. I am going to release a disco version, a disco cover of Horse With No Name at some point before I die, unless I die before I do it. That's just, that's just unfortunate. But I said, I, I want to release a 10 track album at some point in the future. Hopefully it can be 2020 and Horse With No Name will be on there, but it'll be a lovely remix disco version. I kind of just want to do like a, a whole cover album. I would love to do a cover album. Annie Lennox released um, Medusa back in the, 80s I think and it was I think it was a 10 track album and it was just all covers stuff like that really excites me oh I love Annie Lennox 
Uh, have you seen Absolutely. her like Instagram videos where she sat in her like bougie LA or wherever she lives, like living room? It's just her on the piano. She's like, hello, it's me, Annie Lennox. And she yeah, sings like snippets. Yeah, I'm absolutely furious. The woman is stunning. She's the epitome of class. She's so fucking cool. I, I basically just, I, I want to grow up and just be Annie Lennox, to be honest. Yeah. The dream. Uh, a slightly more serious topic, but you spoke on your Instagram about like leaving your day job as it was very like, you present as male, so this is your job. You present as female, so this is your job. Could you like expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I left my, um, yeah, I left my job where it was, kind of, it was kind of like people in the office knew a little bit about my drag stuff, but I do, I, um, yeah, I think it's just a conversation about pronouns, to be honest, because kind of like, I, I think it's important and I'm, I'm sensitive to it. So when I am performing and I am in drag, I'm obviously sister and it's, it's she, her. And then when I'm out of drag, I don't really give a fuck about what pronouns um, uh, people use. Um, but I, for, for a very long time, I was sort of um, bopping about these two different worlds where I would literally don a suit and go into the office and then clock off at, you know, 5 p.m. on a Friday, go home and get into drag and just do this completely different different job and for me I couldn't find a way to like synchronize the two I it, it, I'm a Virgo I'm all or nothing I'm like in for a penny in for a pound so if I'm committing I'm just like full commit so I mean it, the drag race came at a really good opportunity really good points where I was like okay listen I'm gonna do this fucking thing I'm gonna be on the bloody telly I can't really be working this this um full-time gig anymore because I've got another full-time gig to do instead so I'm gonna um I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the boy job inverted commas the boy job um and go and do this fun creative one instead um where people are more in tune to um you know gender and gender politics and queer culture more than the the fucking you know office work and stuff it's not a stereotype to say that people in offices d- that are more likely to not fucking understand it. It was just, mine wasn't a particularly fun office anyway. It was very gray. I'm just filled with like, you know, middle-class white people who <laughs> would love a little misogynistic joke every now and then. And I'd be like, oh God, just die. <laughs> Oh, I can't hear you. Is it back now? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I muted myself quickly because I wanted to, I took a, like a slurper rosé and I was like, I'm a loud slurper, so I'm going to have to mute. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was just saying, it's, I guess they're like microaggressions where it's just, they're not meaning them at you or, but they're just, they sort of nip at you, don't they? 100%. And I think now is the time to um be aware of shit like that happening and kind of nip it in the bud and i find that a lot of people are a lot of people are more lenient to go like if you point out that somebody's just done uh you know just made a little a little mistake that they will correct it they will correct themselves once you've pointed it out 
Um, yeah. Again, it's, it's a communication problem. If you can just say to someone, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't quite right. What are you saying that for? That kind of thing. They'll be like, oh, yeah. shit, sorry. Why the fuck am I saying that? <laughs> Why did I just do that? It's actually glaringly obvious that that was, a, that was a, you know, not the right thing to say. Yeah, I find it's quite interesting as well when you're able to, you can do that, but then they want to know more. Like they are genuinely interested in fixing that and sort of want to have those conversations. Definitely. And that's investment. And I think that they are minor signs that the world is is changing. Um, And we need those, we need those little reminders to know that not everything is imploding. There are things that are actually on the right track, getting better. Um, Cause it's so easy to slip into, it's so easy to slip into a mindset of, um, the, the world has totally gone to shit and there's no, there's no hope or escape. There is, you sometimes have to take more of an active investment into, um, into believing that the world is getting better. Ultimately, it's going to come from society. And I think we've, as a society, we are making progress. There's always going to be outside influence that are so negative and so heavy and so, so damaging. Um, but ultimately, I think the the vibrational frequency of society is it's raising. We are getting we are getting um, more better and more tolerant. It's kind of like I remember reading an interview with one of my favorite um, artists, Kemba Farla. She lives in New York, um, and she was talking. She used this word liminal. She used this word uh, liminality. I've never heard it before. Um, and it's kind of like she described the um, so like what's going on politically with these awful old white men who um, are essentially just neo Nazis and they want that they want to see the world crumble so that they can just you know, climb climb on each other's backs and just keep getting higher and higher platform. Um, it, she said she described it as like it's a death it's a death rattle. So it's like these old men and they're like they, they are they're grasping onto any bit of air that they can get inside of them, so that they can keep going. But ultimately, they are they are disappearing. They are, and the reason that they're getting so more hateful um, and, and and it feels like they're getting so much louder. Um, is because they're on their way out and it, it, things like that just it give me hope because they seem to, I know the media is just swamped with um, yeah. patriarchal white opinions about things. And it's, see, it's so easy to just think, well, that's just the way of it. It's actually fucking not. Um, there are things going on behind the scenes. There are more grassroots things that are happening and that's not going to go away. You can't even down to something like, you know, drag race it's a it's a fucking movement however you want to look at it it's it's queer it's political um and it's a fucking movement and it can only get bigger and it can only get better yeah i think it's i completely agree it's it's a needed change and i think it's quite a good time for it as well because obviously people are using social media and like everything's gone digital so but i think that's like you said it's helped grassroots organizations things like that because they're able to spread their message like faster more people and things are sort of like you can get the ball rolling like that's the one yeah. thing the pandemic has yeah yeah definitely because it's i mean i think even like both seasons the us and the uk seasons of drag race that are airing in january they both show like that shift as well you've got like got mick the first openly transgender male contestant 
and you have Ginny and Bimini who are both not, um, well, who both identify as non-binary. I think that's mm-hmm. a massive step for a show that is supposedly at the forefront of the queer movement, and yet it's taken 13 seasons to get this. Yeah, it's um, it's still, you know, Drag Race is still popular culture, and then popular culture has ties to mainstream culture as well. And mainstream is basically just fitting into, like RuPaul talks about, um, uh, Joe and Betty Beercan, who are the people, who did straight white norm, who um, will sit and watch it. Um, so even though it's, it's, it's very transformative and it's still very punk at its core for the people who, <clears throat> you know, will sit there and watch it and do drag, um, it, it's still kind of, it's still kind of marketed to like, um, you know, the people who will um, watch it. But I think yeah. ultimately you can never stop all the kind of subcultures that are going to tap in and watch this thing. I think as long as we do have a giant platform, which we do, and it kind of feels like a, a runaway train now. No one can stop. No one can stop Drag Race. It's getting bigger. It, 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 it's it's never gotten smaller. It started off and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and now it just feels like every fucking channel or any, any social media platform that you go on, there's going to be some sort of meme or some sort of video or some fucking queen on there. It's literally yeah. taking over the world. And that literally means that it's tapping into, um, it, it's tapping into absolutely everything. And what will come next is representation. So yeah, yeah it's only, it, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. And I have so much hope. I have so much hope for that because, you know, um, it, it's not, drag isn't just defined by one kind of person, everyone. Everyone can do it. That's the whole fucking novelty of it. Even when, you know, even some kids sat at home watching it going, oh my God, this queen, like I, I, you know, I could never, and you know, having their favorites and just idolizing it. It's because inside of them, they are, they know that they can aspire to that level of whatever is, whatever, whatever is going on on their TV screens. Yeah. It's accessible. Everyone can do it. I think that's the beauty of it as well, isn't it? 100%. Because I found, like, coming from a very, very small town in the middle of nowhere, Scotland, like, seeing both Lawrence and Ellie on this season is kind of huge because you don't really see queer Scottish representation, like, at all. Yeah. I think Whereabouts like, in Scotland are you from? Uh, Elgin. It's quite far north, like, in between Aberdeen and Inverness. Right, okay. My ex was from Falkirk? Oh, okay. I think that's down Glasgow side, isn't it? It's Glasgow ways. Yeah. So we used to get the train from London to Edinburgh and then get a connected train to Glasgow and then have to go to, and then have to go to Falkirk, I think. Miles away. Middle of nowhere. It, it, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world, but it's a bit of a pain Scotland, to get to. Oh, Scotland is magic. There is something about being that far um, north of the hemisphere. And I, I, I can't quite explain it, um, but it feels quite... Have you ever seen The Wicker Man? The original Wicker Man? No, I haven't. Okay, put it on your, put it on your watch list. It's Sister Sister's favourite film of all time. It's spooky. 
it's witchy um, and it's it's all about cons- it's like a massive conspiracy theory as well and ultimately a, a, a white Christian man dies at the end of it which is just lovely <laughs> um, but it's such a good film there's something magical about it it's quite, it's quite Wiccan as well it's very Wiccan actually there's, there's something quite magical about it and I think having studied that that was my first taste of um, Scotland and then when I visited Scotland I was just like oh yeah they must burn people all the time here this feels great I love it <laughs> it definitely has like witchy sort of vibes and parts so you've got like the Celtic ruins and stuff like that yeah. and even like you've got Nessie which is just fantastic her name is Ellie Diamonds don't be rude <laughs> the shade <laughs> <laughs> it's not shade if it's honest. No. <laughs> I jest, I jest. She'll be happy to be getting the airtime, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop. I've had a drink. I'm just like, everyone's a twat, yeah. No, <laughs> no I love Ellie. Oh, kisses to my season two sister. <laughs> so you're back living in Liverpool now. Is that my right in that? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'm in Liverpool. Are most of your gigs and things in Liverpool and London? Well, I um, I mostly work in London. So the gigs that I do in Liverpool are uh, self-produced. They're the ones that I set up and organise. Um, and I like to I like to perform in kind of like theatres or cinema spaces or um, kind of like rest, restaurants or bars with, uh, with with a stage or like a platform, that kind of thing. Um, but it was an interesting journey moving back from London um, as a drag performer um, who is naturally quite independent anyway. So I, I moved back up and I, you know, I reached out to some people in Liverpool. There's a couple of like, um, you know, like, like um, sort of like, well, there's a queer, there's a queer group there's a couple of queer collectives and then there's the girls of gay town and that's pretty much the drag scene in Liverpool. Um, and I reached out to some of them and they weren't that interested in collaborating. Um, <clears throat> and I think that was my first taste of really trying to uh, perform in Liverpool. So I was like, all right, okay. Well, it feels quite exclusive. Um, everyone's kind of pretty much in their bubble doing their own thing. Um, so what, you know, what can I do? What can I do independently of that that's different? And I, I hadn't, you know, I had like a, an upper hand because I could see what was missing uh, from the Liverpool drag scene. And there's kind of a lot missing from the Liverpool drag scene um, in the best way possible. It just basically means that it needs a little bit of a revamp. I think it's easy for places to get stuck in their ways. Yeah. When they're just stuck, you know, they're, they're stuck in their way of doing things and like, don't get me wrong, what they're doing is amazing and it's so needed and it's so accessible and they will continue to do that and that's great. Um, there wasn't a lot of cabaret performance. There wasn't a lot of literal just, um, just kind of like the drag queens who are slightly alternative, who can do something just slightly different to picking up a microphone and doing a, you know, Shelley Bassey song or... Um, the queer scene, which are a little bit further left of that, where I say they like 
I saw what I, I went to um I went to one of the shows and I just saw one of them eating a jar of mayonnaise. And I was like, that's really groovy. Good for you. It wasn't even Hellman's as well. I was like, babes, that's like, like Aldi. Stockwell from uh, fucking <laughs> the Tesco, the Tesco cheap aisle. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, well, yeah, I can see what's going on here. And there's obviously, there's obviously a, a gap in the market for something. So um, I, I roped in my comedy partner, Joyless, um, who is uh, incredibly like-minded, very clever, but ultimately very, very funny. Um, she's kind of one of these people that, from the off-go, you could watch you could watch a Joyless performance and think she's an absolute goof. She's very silly. She makes you believe that she's a very silly um, uh, person, and then you kind of realize that all of the jokes are incredibly layered. And the visuals and the props and everything that she's just performed to you are so fucking clever. And there's little, there's little ties to everything that she's done. Just really, really clever comedy. Um, so we set up, we set up some cabaret nights in um, in Liverpool. My favourite was at um, Fact, which is on Wood Street. It's um, it's basically it's a it's a gallery and it's a cinema. And uh, we occupied the, um, they, they call it the box room, which is just like the cinemas, lovely purple drapes around it and there's couches. And we did an anti-Valentine's day showing of um, Death Becomes Her, the film. And it was kind of like uh, me and her just sat at the front. Um, it was sold out. It was pre, pre-COVID as well, where you could just jam everyone into a room and know that you're going to have a lovely time. Um, and we basically, we just had microphones and we had a bottle of um, Prosecco and we got pissed and we, we, set, we set the scene of you are watching this film with your mate. This is what, exactly what we want it to feel like. And we jumped up and we performed alongside, like we lip synced uh, to um, parts of the film. We performed parts of the film and we just kind of like uh, talked over it like a director's commentary style thing. Um, and it was, just, it was just really, really fun. Um, and I can't, I, I miss, I miss that because it's been closed, it's been closed down <laughs> now. It's temporarily closed while, you know, we get COVID out of the way. So I think one of the things about um, being a drag queen in COVID era is trying to figure out how you're going to maintain your platform and do a thing. I've been really lucky because I've got, you know, I've got Drag Race there, um, which is going to alter everything. But you have to, you still have to, behind the scenes, maintain your drag character maintain yeah. sister sister so like what what's next that kind of thing um and it's kind of it, it's not easy because i've done the I've, I've done the lockdown specials and we i've done the i've done the digital drag drag shows um so i'm kind of in a period at the minute where i've got a few plans for things but ultimately i'm just like i want to do something that is going to kind of challenge me and keep me going um while being slightly different to something that we've all grown accustomed to um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of, I feel a bit sorry for everyone that's still just sort of going at it and still, still, still doing it, still doing the digital stuff. Yeah. Cause I think there's, there's a big one on New Year's Eve with a bunch of like the PG management queens and things. But I think like you said, everyone's just waiting to be able to do something in person that they can actually know can go ahead without like Massively. the doubts of. Oh, 
tier four. Yeah, it's it, it just really isn't the same. It, it really isn't, uh, you know, it, it, it's just not as fun without a live audience there. It's it kind of, um, you know, just kind of impacts the whole thing. It's just very strange. It's a very strange time to be, a, to be a performer right now. It is bizarre, but at least with like your new platform and everything, you'll be able to sort of, like you said, maintain behind the scenes. And then when doors open again, you first one out ready to start again. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be wild. That that really will be. And to be honest, I think I just kind of need to take um, to I'd, I'd probably do well to take a break over Christmas and go <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> There's no boundaries to be pushed over Christmas. Put your feet up, hon, and just sort of wait until the new year when um when you know when the show comes out and just strive for strive for something then instead. It's kind of the perfect time to have a break as well because you've got. There's going to be no more like news. The promos come out. You're just sort of waiting now, so you can you can always hibernate and then yeah. come back out and be like, "It's me. I'm here." Hey, I know, I know. And I keep like I'm on the phone with um, production all the time, and they're like, "Take this, you know, have a rest, rest up. You've got all this cut. As soon as, as soon as the show comes out, you're going to be doing this, that, and the other." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I need to be doing stuff now." The workaholic in me is like, "I need to be bloody doing stuff now." Um, but yeah. It, it's quite right. I'd probably just take the Christmas off. Take Christmas off. Exactly. Yeah. Watch some French and Saunders. Watch some bloody French and Saunders. Oh, Don French tweeted me recently. I was like, well, that's fucking it. I'm going to retire. I saw that. Yeah. Oh, I, they're that's such a I duo. Want. Wow. I, I mean, in terms of just like god tier people to contact you, Dawn French is my absolute one. I, I can go back to the age of, I distinctly remember loving, not just admiring, loving Dawn French about the age of four or five. <laughs> just watching, watching French and Saunders and being like, who is this woman? And the reason that I can pinpoint it is because um, my auntie, um, one of my mum's sisters has an amazing sense of humour and she was always very cheeky um, to us when we were growing up. And I remember saying to her, you remind me of this woman. And I, I didn't know Dawn French's name at the time, but I remember saying, this woman reminds me of uh, my auntie. And it was, it, was Dawn, it was Dawn French. So I kind of like, there's always been that crossover. And then I think, I, I don't know, it's like Dawn French has got under my skin. And I just haven't really haven't been able to shake it. But I I took with me um, when you're filming Drag Race, you're not allowed um, you're not allowed any devices that connect to the internet. So I took um, I took a portable DVD player, and I took the French and Saunders box set series one to six. I also took the Simpsons season one to six because my house is constantly playing The Simpsons at all time. In fact, it's on in my room as we speak. I'm not even there, I'm just wasting electricity. I, I, I feel better when The Simpsons is just constantly on. But I took French and Saunders uh, with me, and as soon as I woke up in the morning, I just press play and just have that just constantly on, background noise. Um, 
and you can hear the tone of it as well. It's like, you don't even, it, it could be muffled. You could be underwater. You don't know what it is, but I can just under, I can just tell when French of Saunders is playing at all times. Um, it's just, it's just God tier. They were fucking, fucking genius, genius, genius yeah. comedians. And they really paved the way for, um, for British, British comedy, British, British comedy sketches as well. I, I love Jennifer Saunders. She's just, it's just her facial expressions as well. Like she did a play in Norwich back in February. Like I think it was one of the last shows they had there before lockdown and everything. And it was cackling the entire time. Cause it can be like quite a serious scene and she just makes like, like a nose twitch or something and you're dying. 100%. It's so, it's so irreverent. Um, it's so subtle. Um, and it, be, it, it does, it becomes an artistry. And that's the kind of comedy that really gets me going. It's when, it's when you have to really pay attention. And the slightest, like you said, it's like a slightest facial expression or just the slightest play on words, uh, like pecks your ears off and you're like, yeah. that's it. There lies the joke. It is, it's the art of comedy. They, so good, so good. Because I know you mentioned that like Don French was your one of your big influences for comedy and you're like meet the queens and stuff is that sort of like when if you come to a sister sister show is it like a mix of comedy lip syncs like everything yeah I like to do um I like to do book readings so um one of my favorites to do is a rewrite of uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears it's kind of like a modern I call it the director's commentary version so it's the bit where people would say, if you can read between the lines of this story, I did. I read between the lines and I wrote, I wrote in between the lines as well. Um, so I start off um, Goldilocks and Three Bears saying, uh, this is largely a tale of white privilege and queer culture. And then throughout it, I just dissect the Three Bears as being in a polyamorous relationship. That's just three gay men. Um, Goldilocks is just some naughty little white bitch with privilege who broke into this house. And then in the end, I kill her off. I say she jumped out the window and got murdered. Um, so it, it, it's that, it, it's that, it's comedy. And I'm quite morbid as well. I, I like to, I like to like play around with death, and play around with the worst case scenario at all times. Um, but it's kind of like, it, it's just, it's, it's imploring people to, um, to kind of, it's like leading them down, um, telling a story, it's like leading people down an avenue. And then just when you think you're about to hit the punchline that they think they're gonna hear, serving them the opposite. And just keeping them on their toes. That's, that for me is, is um, that keeps me joyous. That, that's the thing that I really enjoy. Just sort of like the unexpected, the unexpected is storytelling. I think you can make like, if you can make humor out of death, you can make humor out of anything. Like that's a next level of, comedic flyer but it doesn't stop you having depression <laughs> it, it, it's true I, I i do i probably laugh at death way more than way more than i should but that's just um well that's another thing actually comedians tend to have um uh, battles or at least be more open about talking about mental health and and like poor mental health and depression and um the bipolar disorder, that kind of thing. I think, I, I think, um, and it's literally down to um, having a coping mechanism and comedy tends to be the coping mechanism. Yeah. I think that's not even like self-deprecation, but like 
the level beyond that of you're kind of outside of yourself being able to be like what are you doing like get yourself together yeah yeah it's uh, it's just that i think robin williams was um quite vocal about it um r.i.p what a genius yeah well mrs doubtfire that was iconic i don't think it'll ever be a movie that's like as iconic as that i know problematic as fuck but like it's yeah if you can take uh, you know, if you, if you can pick the best parts out of it, yeah, it's it, it's a good film. We, we stand Robin Williams. I mean, like that he like snuck a drag into like mainstream culture, though. Like people that would <laughs> never like see themselves at a drag show, they're like fully watching a quite a campy, dragged up film. Yeah, he absolutely did. He was, um, yeah, yeah, the white RuPaul. Maybe <laughs> stretching it a smidge. <laughs> Only a bit. Just Never let the truth get in the way of the story. I feel like Michelle Visage takes that. She'll take that title. Or I think Lady Bunny would fight her for it, actually. Uh, quite, quite, quite right, actually. Have you ever seen Lady Bunny perform live? No, I haven't, unfortunately. But, like, next time she's in the UK, that's going to have to happen. Uh, I went to a Lady Bunny show um, at the Soho Theatre. Um, it was interesting. To be honest, it was probably about three years ago, and I'm still dissecting it. I can't figure out whether I fully enjoyed it or not. Because, again, there's parts, and this this is one of the things about being a human being in 2020. You can, you can disapprove of people sometimes. It's a way that you, you can like people, and you can also... Uh, dislike them. You don't have to be like fully in love with someone all the time. There's parts of people that you like and there's parts of people that you don't like. Yeah. Um, the Lady Bunny show, there were parts that I genuinely fucking hated. It just felt so rambly um, and, and, and outdated and it was like an old person fuming at the world because she didn't understand it. And when the topic is gender and gender identity, you kind of watched it thinking it just yeah. sounds like you don't know what it sounds like you don't understand it and you're angry that you don't understand it. And you're trying to make light of it because you're a comedian and this yeah. is what you do. But you're sat saying this to a, an audience of like queer people who are uncomfortably laughing. And it's just strange that she toured. She, she toured with that. And um, the funny bits were fucking amazing. When she, was, when she was getting it right, it was really good. It's like more of that. You know? Yeah. Um, another, an, do you know what I mean? It's almost like, sorry, I'm like, distracted for a second. My dog was trying to push the door up in. I, I was like, do you know what? Call me psychic. I was like, there is an animal penetrating the, street, the screen right now. There's something trying, to, something trying to get in the room. I mean, I think that, that fully could have been <laughs> apparent, but I think it was indie. Because um, I'm back home for Christmas. So I've like commandeered dad's office. How amazing. God, that setup looks like it's yours. Looks like it's been yours for years. It was my bedroom and then I got booted out of it. This That's why then. Call me psychic. It's because he used to sleep there. <laughs> hey, that's my plant that I took home because I didn't want him to die in the flat. 
all on his own. Oh. It's like, oh, it, it looks healthy. That's from Ikea. It is from Ikea. No, every gay's got that. Every gay's got that fucking monstera yeah. plant. Dad drove me up to like move into the flat and I was like, oh, just stay the night. We'll go to Ikea. And I think he regretted it because I was like, I just need a few baits. And it was like 180 pounds later, seven plants. Just crammed <laughs> into like a student flat. But Amazing. So, yeah, no, every, everyone's got monstera plants. Mine is downstairs in the living room um, with the wi-fi router behind it and what really scares me is that the, the leaves at the back where the router are have just turned brown and started dying i'm like the wi-fi is killing you that's i might have to move him because the router is in this room as well <laughs> the plant will be dead soon but i don't i don't even do anything i just go down notice that the plants die and observe it and walk out again like i don't do anything to rectify it whatsoever oh just splash it a bit of gin it'll be fine i know oh, just give it a good yeah give it a cup of pepsi it'll be fine exactly i forgot to water mine before i left i only took that one because i was like that's big i'll notice if that's dead and the other ones are like this size they can be sacrificed yeah we'll get rid of them yeah, they'll be fine. So as we sort of like wrap up <laughs> the episode, like drag race aside, what do you have like planned for the future of Sister Sister in your career? I know that's a very broad question and you probably asked it all the time, but uh, um you know what I I think I owe it to myself as um as um a person to have something that's like um, as secure as the the boy job that we talked before, just because I'm so used to it, I would absolutely love to um, to write some really strong fucking comedy. I can't wait. I genuinely, genuinely have so excitement rattling in my bones to write my one woman show, and it, you know, it and uh, to stay uh, true to the sister sister brand as well. And hope that it gets it, it's received well, but I just want it to be as absurdist and morbid and like laughed at as long as much as it's laughed um, with, um, and like nice and visual, um, and for the fucking like venues to be open so that I can tour this bloody thing, um, uh, you know, in in the future, I kind of wanna. Uh, um, Uh, yeah, to get out and, and 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 witness fun queer entertainment in the flesh. Uh, so in that breath, I really hope our fucking government stupid ass together and um, puts puts a stopper on this fucking thing. And it, it, it's so frustrating because everything just leads back to COVID. But, you know, we it's the elephant in the room at all times. So yeah. um, let me summarize with this. I have hope. I have hope for the future and I have hope for entertainment, especially queer entertainment and the, the followers of that queer entertainment that we can get back and we can choose normal. Um, I spoke with someone recently about, they asked me about 
five-year plan and I was like I don't plan on being alive at the end of it but nice one um but gosh a five-year plan is just like hilarious I would say Graham Norton I'm coming for you I'm coming for your job mate I um I literally want a talk show (laughs) I would kill I'm gunning for my own talk show um I just think it would be the funnest job ever. And I think getting on Drag Race, all, I, all I've ever wanted to be is just a talking head. Give me a big enough platform and a big enough wig and a topic of conversation to talk about. And I will chew the rag until the cows come home. Um, so I am, I'm very excited about my, <laughs> about a future with uh, Sister Sister. It should be very, very fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I have, Love this, and I'm so excited to see you on the show. Thank Maybe. you, thank you for having me. Do you, do you want to like drop your socials or anything so they can the interweb? Can yeah, yeah, no, they'll all regret it when they follow me. So I'm on all socials at official sister sister, um, except for in no, except for Twitter, who it's too many characters, so I have to be blue circle babe. Um, but you can you can find me there. Also, book a cameo off me. I'm broke. I need the money. <laughs> and you can get your is it snatched merch that has your. You can if you go to my website uh, officialsistersister.com, You can browse my entire collection of merchandise, which is absolutely stunning. By the way, I log on. Every single day, every single time when I, when I catch my merchandise, I'm just like, that picture is absolutely stunning. It was by an artist called Jack Alfie. And I literally said to him, I want to look like a bust. Give me my blue orb and red lip. Um, and just and he sent me this image back. And I was like, I literally couldn't have pictured anything better than that. You are a wonderment. You are an artist. I love you. But yeah, you can shop, you can shop the entire collection at um, official sister sister dot com forward slash shop thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode with sister sister i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did it was an absolute delight to chat to her all about the new season her drag and queer culture of course so as mentioned you can check out all of sister's um socials and things i'll pop them in the description of the episode as well as mine and podcasts will be in there as well i've also linked her merch shop and her cameo page as well so you can go support her as well so thank you guys so much for listening and i will see you next friday with the one and only miss vinegar strokes